This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. RPN. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by The Great Courses Plus. Hundreds of courses, thousands of lectures, tons of stuff that you want to know. Try it for free for one month at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Mission Log. Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 285. Dramatis Personae. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm going to kill you. I mean, I'm John Champion. I'm sorry, what was that first part? Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings. And we secretly plot ways to kill Ken. I don't think that's right. Yeah, it's not. It just starts secret. Then we plot openly. Hmm. This week, Dramatis Personae. The one where everybody's just playing their part and that they're playing somebody else's part. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... Oh, but first, a reminder, a really quick reminder about another show we do. It's Mission Log Live every Tuesday night, assuming we both survive... Ken and I get together with you to talk Trek. So when Discovery's on, we talk about Discovery. When Discovery's not on, we talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, let's see, there's science, there's fiction, there's science fiction. Oh, even politics, psychology, toys, comics, fandom and fan films, the philosophy of Star Trek, and deep dives like how the World's Fair influenced Star Trek. Doug Drexler, Dayton Ward, Chase Masterson, Rod Roddenberry. Guests just keep coming to talk to you. That's why we do it live. We want your calls. So join us Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. Actually on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. That page again, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. Or download the show later. You can just search for Mission Log Live wherever you get podcasts. Actually, I've got a deal for you. Do both. Subscribe to Mission Log Live wherever you get podcasts and join us live every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific at Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod for Mission Log Live. What a bargain. That is a bargain for me. Mm -hmm. It's such a deal, right? Right. I'm not even going to raise the price for both shows. Yeah. Yeah, In fact, take two. They're small. That's that's what I say. Hey, John's got trivia coming up in just a moment. But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. 
Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. John, I'm I'm feeling a little, um, I'm feeling a little, mm-hmm. I don't know, I just need to gather myself for a moment. Why don't, why don't you do trivia while I, while I try to figure out what's up? Yeah, don't you worry about a thing, Ken, I got this. Trivia for Dramatis Personae. This episode was written by Joe Minoski. We've said a lot about the weird sense of humor and dramatics that Joe brought to Star Trek. This is his first of four scripts for DS9, and we covered all 16 of his next-gen episodes, of course. Now, he brought us everything from Darmok to hero worship to Time's Arrow to masks. And after his time here on DS9, he'll contribute a lot to Voyager. And as of now, he has one credit with Star Trek Discovery. This episode was directed by Cliff Bull, another TNG veteran who we've covered a great deal. Cliff started on TNG with Season 1's Lonely Among Us and carried right through to Season 7's Emergence, which of course means part of his time overlaps between both shows as well. This episode aired just a few weeks after his directorial turn on Next Gen's Suspicions. Now let's talk about the title, Ken, a thing that we do from time to time. Dramatis Personae literally means the masks of drama, appropriate for this show as a kind of shorthand that we are seeing characters portrayed here. It can be used in a few different ways, though, so sometimes it is a short description of a character. So like in this case, if you were to read a, a bill of the characters, it might say Cisco, a captain from Starfleet, you know, Kira, a major from Bajor, you know, something like that. Um, it's also been used as just the list of actors and characters. Really, though, it's to clue in the audience about what kind of characters you've got. And very generally, uh, without the theatrical context, it can just mean these are the major people involved in something. So a lot of meetings there for Dramatis Personae, but it definitely has its roots in the theater. Let's talk about a couple of guest stars. Valerian, the ship captain, is played by Stephen Parr. His professional acting credits actually end with this episode. But before that, he was a guest star in a number of shows throughout the 70s and 80s. You can look up the rest, but I'd just like to point out here that he was Fireman Frank on an episode of Pee-wee's Playhouse. And then we have Tom Towles as the Klingon Hontil. Now, Tom is a very recognizable character actor. He's made a career out of playing tough guys, and a lot of that has been in horror and other genre productions. Not usually super high budget, but very well known. He was in the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead. He was in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. He was in Rob Zombie's feature directorial debut, House of a Thousand Corpses. In fact, he did two more projects with Zombie, the parody short Werewolf Women of the SS as part of Grindhouse and the remake of Halloween. Now, it's not always stuff to terrify you. He had a guest role on Firefly. He had a recurring role on NYPD Blue as Inspector Lestarza. And he's also done sitcoms like Seinfeld, Malcolm in the Middle and The Drew Carey Show. And yes, we will see him again in a guest role on Voyager. That's a good place to stop. Today, the part of the Mad Ruler will be played by Benjamin Sisko. 
The part of the conniving lieutenant will be played by Major Kira. The part of Odo will be played by Odo. And Quark. Well, Quark will always be Quark. The curtain rises and we begin. Prologue. A rather subdued Commander Sisko responds to a chime at his office door, welcoming in a rather agitated Major Kira. She's upset because a Valerian ship has requested permission to dock at Deep Space Nine. See, the Valerians used to run weapons-grade dolomide to the Cardassians, which they used to keep Bajor down. Of course, Sisko knows this. While Kira suspects the Valerians are still up to no good... Cisco says without proof, they will be allowed to dock. And no, she can't bend or break the rules to get the proof she suspects is there. In fact, please see to the Valerian's docking personally, Major. In Ops, Odo gives Kira what little background he's been able to find on the Valerian vessel. She asks him to keep a close eye on it. Meanwhile, Dax says there's an unscheduled ship coming through the wormhole. It's the Klingon ship Takat, a month earlier than expected. Sisko orders staff to hail the Klingon ship, but it's a little too busy exploding to answer that hail. Someone got away, though. A Klingon beamed off the ship before it went sploosh. The signal's weak, but O'Brien is able to pull him through, long enough for him to utter one word, victory, then collapse. Unable to save the Klingon, Dr. Bashir pronounces him dead as we head to opening credits. Act 1. They've identified the dead Klingon... He was Klingon, first officer of the Tukat. What happened to him and his ship is currently unknown, just that he personally took a lot of weapons fire and his ship exploded. Nothing weird about what they were up to, at least nothing the Klingon High Command will admit to. The Tukat was on a routine biosurvey mission. So why say victory? Right, jobs to do. Sisko tells Odo to ask around and see what he can find out about the reported biosurvey. Dax and O'Brien will take a runabout and find the Takat's mission recorder. Dr. Bashir is running an analysis on the dead Klingon, trying to figure out what sort of weapons he was hit with. Of course, Major Kira already has a job, seeing to the incoming Valerians. Something she... <laughs> tries to delay. She is convinced that they're running weapons, though she still doesn't have proof. So a testy Cisco steps in and clears the Valerians to dock himself. In Quark's, Odo is quizzing Quark about his dealings with the Klingons, convinced the proprietor heard something about the alleged biosurvey. After the usual threat by Odo to Quark's business, Quark tells Odo what he knows. The Klingons had said that they would return from their glorious mission with something that would make the enemies of the Klingon Empire tremble. Direct quote. Intel gathered, Odo goes to leave, and is stricken with a splitting headache. Seriously, his head splits open, then comes back together in a way that only a shapeshifters could. Odo falls unconscious to the floor of the bar, with Quark running to fetch Doc Bashir. Act 2. Odo comes to in sickbay. He says he feels fine, which Bashir assumes is good news, since he has absolutely no idea how to tell how the shapeshifter is physically doing. One more thing before you go, though, Odo. Do you share my concern about the Valerian situation? I'm just saying, when it comes time, will you be Team Cisco or Team Kira? 
Odo wants to know what Bashir is basing this whole choosing sides thing on. Very clever, says Bashir, but you're probably right. Too early to choose sides. Well, that was weird. In Sisko's office, Kira has still more circumstantial evidence that the Valerians are really running weapons-grade dolomite. She's got a boarding party ready to search the ship and ship the Valerians out. But Sisko, seeming more logy than the prologue, though no less resolute, says Kira will not be boarding the Valerian ship. Kira, as about as strident as we've ever seen her, is upset that Sisko will do nothing. He corrects her, though. Not only will he do nothing, neither will she. Unless she's challenging his command. She concedes. She is not. On the runabout, Dax and O'Brien are having a weird conversation. Say, says O'Brien, when the time comes, will you be Team Cisco or Team Kira? Dax is flighty, forgetful, showing all of the 300 years of the trill inside her. Ultimately, though, she says she'll be Team Cisco. You know, if we're choosing sides. Good, says O'Brien. Anyone who's against Cisco is against me. Also, they found the Takat's mission recorder. In his office, Odo welcomes a strange-seeming Major Kira, and she's got a job for Odo. She needs proof that the Valerians are running weapons-grade dolomite. She needs Odo to sneak in and find that proof. She assures him that Sisko has signed off on this. So, Odo says, Okay, I'll do it. And I'll keep both you and Sisko appraised of my progress. Busted. Kira admits that she was trying to trick Odo into going behind Sisko's back. Tell you what, never mind. Just curious, though, if you had to choose sides, well, just remember who your friends are. Act 3. Stuff is getting seriously weird. In his log, Miles O'Brien is suspicious of how quickly Kira heard about the retrieval of the Tokat's mission recorder. She must have spies everywhere. The recordings themselves make little sense, which makes sense since they came off an exploding ship. For his part, Sisko does not care, and says so. Still, O'Brien thinks the Klingons might care. He'll put DS9's computers on reconstructing the recordings. Whatever, says Sisko, just don't bother me with it. The only senior officer not being weird is Odo. Though nobody notices that because the only senior officer not being weird is Odo. In Quarks, Dax is graduating from flighty to drunk, a prime target for Kira, who's looking to shore up support for when the time comes for people to choose sides. While Dax seems to be on Sisko's side, Kira thinks Dax may want to think again. One way or another, she is getting rid of Sisko. She'd hate to have to get rid of Dax as well. All of this is overheard by Quark, though he swears to Kira that he didn't hear anything right before she throws him across the bar. Sometime later, Quark, in a neck brace, goes to Odo, seeking justice. He says he heard Kira trying to get Dax to side with her in the coming fight against Sisko. Right, this is really weird. All of the senior staff is being weird. The only senior officer not being weird is Odo. Quark doesn't care. He wants satisfaction. But Odo 
doesn't care about Quark's satisfaction. He's off to talk to Cisco. In Cisco's office, though, sits O'Brien. He says Cisco is in his quarters, where he's safe. Odo doesn't really have O'Brien's attention, though. The engineer is watching the slightly less garbled first officer's log from the Takat. The first officer says their problem started when they opened some energy spheres. But that doesn't matter. He knows now what he has to do. Kill the captain, blow up the ship, and beam himself to safety. Odo says it sounds like mutiny, which O'Brien says is how Klingon ships roll. Yeah, but it's weird for a place like Deep Space Nine, isn't it? Oh, don't worry, says O'Brien. If Kira tries anything, we'll be ready. Me and Sisko, who've always been good to you, haven't we, Odo? I think they want him to choose sides. In Sisko's guarded quarters, Sisko is even more logy than before. He is totally disinterested in the problems Odo's brought to his door. Take it up with O'Brien, he says. That's what he's there for. Leave Sisko alone. He's working on a clock. See? It's a clock! I've mentioned things getting weird, right? Act 4. Walking back into his office, Odo is surprised to find Major Kira being weird. She needs his help. She's locked down the docking clamps of the Valerian ship. Now she's going after Sisko and O'Brien, and she tells Odo that he'll be glad when it's over. Finally, he'll be able to run security on the station the way he wants to. All he has to do is be ready when the time comes. With Kira gone, Odo tries to call Starfleet, though communication with the Federation has been locked out by Kira. And no surprise, communication with Bajor has been locked out by O'Brien. The computer does have good news, though. It's finished fixing the log from the first officer of the Tokat. More about those weird spheres? Not a lot else. In Sisko's office, O'Brien has a plan for Sisko. With communication to Starfleet blocked, Sisko and O'Brien should leave Deep Space Nine, catching a ride with the Valerians, get reinforcements from Starfleet, then come back and retake Deep Space Nine. They'll just need time to free the Valerian ship, which Kira's locked down. Sisko hates the idea of leaving, but he loves the idea of retaking. So he's in. In sickbay, Odo catches Bashir... Uh, talking to a patient. Huh. Not weird. Also, Bashir really thinks Odo should go ahead and choose sides. So yeah, still weird. What Odo wants to know is more about the dead Klingon. Specifically, can you see whether he was being telepathically controlled or something? A look at the scans and, hey, what do you know? There is evidence of mind control. Might have been caused by a self-contained telepathic matrix or something. And Odo has figured it out. The Klingons were acting out an ancient power struggle contained in the telepathic spheres mentioned in the log of the first officer of the Tukat. Odo figures the Klingon brought that onto Deep Space Nine, and it affected everybody in Ops, except for Odo, thanks to his nothing-like humanoid physiology. So, what we need to do is figure out how to turn off what's controlling everybody. Wait a second. What got Bashir interested in this whole thing was possibly being able to affect who controlled the station. If they turn off the thing controlling everybody, how will they have the advantage? The power to control the energy matrix is the power to control the station, according to Odo. And that sounds good to the not-so-good doctor. He'll figure out a way to turn off what's controlling everybody. In Ops... 
Hey, remember that patient Bashir was seeing? Turns out Bashir was giving him something to kill Cisco. But O'Brien sees the assassination attempt coming and warns Cisco. Dax calls Kira to let her know of the trouble, so for those keeping score at home, that's Dax and Bashir on Kira's side, O'Brien on Cisco's side, Odo being Odo, and Quark being Quark. Now back to the action. Cisco is about to kill his would-be assassin with his bare hands, but he's stopped by phaser fire from Kira. Just a warning shot to send us to break. Act 5. The jig is up. Except, not really. O'Brien is able to beam himself and Cisco. Oh, not to the Valerian ship, but at least away from Ops. They call to Odo, who tells them to go to Cargo Bay 4. Kira figures out that Odo must be helping them along and calls to the constable. <laughs> helping Cisco? I'm helping you. You'll find Cisco and O'Brien trapped in Cargo Bay 4. Now come on, Bashir. Let's you and me go to Cargo Bay 4. And there they all are, all of our players on one stage. It's then that Odo orders the computer to do something, something that'll turn off what's controlling everybody. But it doesn't turn it off. Rather, it drives the telepathic energy matrix out of their heads. Then Odo tells everyone to grab onto something secure. He opens the pod bay doors, pal, and that sucks the telepathic energy matrix out into space. Commander's Log With nothing to hold it together, the telepathic energy matrix has dispersed in space, according to Cisco. Though it wasn't really her doing, Kira comes to apologize. You know, for trying to take over the station. Cisco says he'll let it slide. This time. Then he starts his incredibly intricate clock. The end. Man, I totally get where Kira is coming from with her concern about the Dolomite. Rudy Ray Moore is really explosive. So I have no idea what you're doing there. Dolomite? Rudy Ray Moore in 1974? No, I would say you are not speaking my language. And no, as a matter of fact, I would not like a Dolomite sandwich. <laughs> That's the, the, you just now a new reference. Uh, <laughs> so the first time I watched this, I, I literally I thought they said Dolomite. And I was like, really? We're just we're looking at 70s exploitation movies now for our sci-fi terms. But no, that's just how I heard it in my head. Yeah, well, no, it's it's actually, I mean, if you weren't watching with the, I feel certain there are lots of people who, if they aren't watching with the, um, with the uh, closed captioning on, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you think it is. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, I had to go back. Yeah. I think it was because I wanted to know how to spell Tokat that I actually <laughs> yeah. watched it with the closed captioning. I'm like, oh, it's not Dolomite. It's Dolomite. <laughs> right. How silly right. of me. Uh -huh. I should have known it was a pretend word. Right. Um, Cisco does a bit of classic Starfleet here, though. He, the, the gist of it is, you have suspicions? Okay, we'll treat them nicely and we'll negotiate. Which <laughs> right. is good. Uh, yeah, that, that's uh, as he should. That's something totally out of the Picard playbook. So That uh, is absolutely out of the Picard playbook. Mm -hmm. It's also, I mean, it's also, you would hope anyway, it is out of today's playbook, right? You've got circumstantial evidence. Okay, come back when you have evidence. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, a suspicion, if you would, before we go breaking down somebody's door and, you know, searching. Because, right. honestly, once she goes crazy, she could just, you know, she could bring Dolomite there to uh, to plant, which she may well have done. Because, did I mention, 
well, the crazy is a strong word, weird. I think weird <laughs> might be the word that I would use. Uh, hey, I'm surprised this wasn't your lead thing again mm-hmm. with the com badges. I, I, I know. I know. It was it was another thing with the com badges. At some point, they've got to do the double fake out where where they say whoever's trying to hide us like, yes, we're going to go into this other corridor and definitely not leave our com badges here to fake you out. But then they leave their com badges somewhere else or just keep them on. You know, it'll totally throw them off. <laughs> that would be funny, actually, if Kira had yeah. been sitting there going, they can't be stupid enough to still have their comm badges on. No, no, no. <laughs> they, just, they just have them on. Yeah. Right. They must, have, they must have put them on somebody else's back, and they're actually sitting where we least expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to say really quickly, I couldn't figure out the drink that Quark made Jadzia, but I wanted one. Yeah, right. And, and I still do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody at Quark's bar, get on that. Because, uh, please yeah, look way better than the Rack Kajinko. I, I said that wrong. I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure you did, but that's okay. Yeah. You know what they say, though? They say you, you put the shoe on the right foot first, but put the left foot first into the bathtub. Always. Always. Yeah. So. And then I think you do the hokey pokey. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so good. So good. I loved the, I mean, it, it's really, it's played over the top, but I love the bit with Quark with the neck brace. It's just because it was so him. And I love the little, uh, I love the voice that he's doing and he's really playing it up. And then as soon as Odo leaves and he kind of straightens it out and uh, gets his real voice back, it was a nice, nice little bit played, played perfectly by Armin. You've also got to love the fact that it was a space neck brace. It was a space neck brace. It had like the, the two layer, it was like the, the silvery metally thing and then like a weird red, almost like a gel thing in there. It was very much a Base neck brace. Love it. Love that attention to detail. Um, there was a moment in here that was truly the slowest buildup to almost hurting a senior officer that I've ever seen. And, and I mean, the, the moment in ops where you have O'Brien saying, Commander Cisco, and there was a Bajoran about to somehow disable Cisco with that little uh, like circuit board thing he's going to stab into his neck or whatever. And that whole thing... It's one line and one camera cut, and it feels like it's about 10 minutes, <laughs> you know, where that Bajoran is just the worst co-conspirator you could possibly ask for. I don't think, though, that it was a circuit board thing. I think it was an electronic gum jabbar. Oh, good. Yeah, good call. Yeah, good thank call. you very much, because mm-hmm. there certainly hasn't been enough doing in the past week or two. Nope, nope. Um, so, listen, I know that Cisco says the telepathic energy matrix dispersed in space. But mm-hmm. first of all, how do we know that? And then more to the point, how do we know he didn't just create another Red Jack? How do we know it wasn't Red Jack well, to begin with? Mm-hmm. Because we saw it come out of seven different people's heads. Plus, it was in some spheres that were in another place in another quadrant of the galaxy. Uh, apparently for a thousand years. Red Jack has had a hundred years to figure this out since we last saw him. <sighs> I don't know. I don't think it was Red Jack, because I think Red Jack would have been, I mean, he would have been up to his old tricks, right? Why is it going to be like, although if he's had a hundred years by himself, he might have been, man, I'm really going to play it up next time. Last time <laughs> right. it was too easy. This time I got, I got parts, I got costumes. Well, I don't have physical form, so I don't really have costumes, but I got parts. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't actually have parts because I don't have physical form either, but I'll have somebody else's parts. Maybe I can get them to make costumes and... I really don't think it was Red Jack, but 
he might have just created another one. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, very true. Now, their whole novel solution at the end, getting rid of the telepathic influence, kind of reminds me of like the, something that's happened many times in my life. Like I'm driving down the highway very fast, and then I realize that there's a fly trapped in the car with me and you do that thing where you sort of roll down the window and the, and the wind comes really, really strong. And you kind of like wave your hand to get the fly out of there or, or worse, like a bee or something like that. Like get out, get out, I got it. And then very quickly raise the window again. That, that was, I'm sure that they were influenced by exactly that when they wrote that scene. You think so, huh? Mm-hmm. Yep. Can I ask you a question that has nothing to do with the episode? Sure. Do you ever feel bad for that fly? Never. Really? Never. Cause, Cause he can a- fly. He can fly. Well, yeah, right, but he he has no idea how to get back where he was. <laughs> so he's relying on me for that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, it's his own fault for getting into your car. I understand yeah. that. What if I was driving to Disneyland? I mean, come on, he'd be lost. Well, but he'd be having a grand time at least. Probably so. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, boy, is Odo lucky that nobody grabbed on the cargo in Cargo Bay 4. Yeah, because Did they know, like, what his plan was? He's like, hey, grab onto something. And they're like, oh, he's going to hit me or, you know, right. whatever. I mean, did they automatically know that he was going to... Well, you mentioned rolling down the window. Did, did they automatically know that he was going to roll down the space window and, you know, suck out energy? Because that's yeah. another thing. Not to, not to, not to nitpick, mm-hmm. but, but can, you, can you suck energy out of a Cargo Bay door? Yeah, in in DS9, you can. And very much to your point, if we learned anything from Next Gen, it's that whatever is in the cargo bay is barely hanging on and will hurt you if given half a chance. Okay, I get the telepathic spheres. I get the jockeying for power. I get no one getting expelled through the airlock. But, seriously, how did that clock work? We'll get more personal with Dramatis Persona in a moment. But first, John and I are very excited to introduce you to a new sponsor of ours, The Great Courses Plus. Now, this is pretty much what it sounds like. Great courses covering all sorts of topics, from history to learning a language to writing a screenplay to sci-fi, that is P-H-I, sci-fi, science fiction, as philosophy. For years, the great courses made tons of courses available one at a time. Boxes and boxes of tapes and CDs. You buy a course, you learn a course. Maybe someday you buy another course. Well, they did that for close to 30 years. Then in 2016, they added the plus. Where the great courses plus, you don't get one course, you get all of them. Watch or listen to as many as you want. All of the courses you can has all of the courses. And I'm pretty sure there's a course that tells you, don't say you can has. No, no, <laughs> yeah. just don't. Yeah. I will tell you the listening thing's pretty cool. I was, uh, I was driving someplace the other day. It took me about an hour to get there. I listened to a great course on the way. That, that's so funny because I, I, I did the same thing. Had about an hour drive each way. I got through four courses, each one about a half an hour. And literally like every five minutes, my mind is being blown. So yes, exactly. it's well right. worth so, it. Yeah. So one thing that they've done is they've actually added an app recently for iOS or Android. So instead of having to watch or, and you know, here's the thing. I run video in my car before I'm not watching it, but what I am doing is just eating through my battery because of course it takes more battery power to, to play a video and it seems doubly stupid if you're not actually watching it. So the app actually has a thing where you can just listen 
right? Kind of like mm-hmm. listening to a podcast. So, you know, like if you're driving someplace like, like I was doing or Mr. Champion was doing, or if you go to the gym like I used to do, or, you know, <laughs> if you're somebody who listens to podcasts while you work, basically any place is a great place for a great course. Now, Ken, you mentioned this month's featured course, Sci-Fi, Science Fiction as Philosophy. Presented by David K. Johnson, this course tackles some really big philosophical topics using science fiction as a jumping off point, as a tool to illustrate, as a way to dig deep into philosophy. So you have lectures within that, like The Matrix and the Value of Knowledge, Contact, Science versus Religion, Star Trek, TNG, and Alternate Worlds. So if you want to hear more about the course, David was actually a guest on episode 33 of Mission Log Live. Go give that a listen. I'm guessing it was his courses that blew your mind, right? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. Moment 24 moment. lectures, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh-huh. Man, he talked about something in one of those. I can't remember which one. I think it was uh, TNG and Alternate World um, uh-huh. that I just keep coming back to. I just keep coming back to it every now and then. I'll nice. be doing something else, and all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, that part. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Here's <laughs> okay. the thing, though. Uh, 24 lectures in this course, all of them waiting for you, but you don't have to listen to all of them. You can pick and choose from this course and, and seemingly countless others. And you can start for free. Mission Log listeners have access to one month of lectures from The Great Courses Plus. Uh, what you do is you go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash missionlog. It is a long URL, but it is a URL worth remembering. TheGreatCoursesPlus.com slash mission log. Life is full of stuff that you have to know. This is stuff that you want to know. Let's do that one more time. Start today at TheGreatCoursesPlus.com slash mission log. And a huge thanks to The Great Courses Plus for sponsoring this week's show. So I guess uh, I, I'm trying to uh, mine some questions here, some topics to discuss for this episode. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the only real questions that I had in any of this is how much of the altered version of the characters we're seeing was the alien influence and how much is really them? Hmm. I mean, it, it does. We're, we're sort of led to think it, it seems like a total takeover from the telepathic influence. But there's still enough of the host in there to know who has an alliance with whom. See Kira and Odo. Um, plus, you have to know things. You have to know what a phaser is. You have to know what Starfleet is. You have to know that you have to contact Starfleet. There are certain things that, that the, the host has to know that then the, the telepathic influence would pick up. The only reason I think it's interesting is if it indicates that lurking somewhere in Kira is a paranoid mutineer or if if inside dax is a playful child trying to get out now like in the naked time so in the naked time it was really clear that what we were getting was a version of that same character it was something from inside coming out so it's like wondering if someone who is drunk is acting totally unlike themselves or exactly like themselves only more so and that answer might be different for different people, but that was that was the only thing. Like particularly when you get to the apology 
at the end of the episode. Kira says, you know, she comes to Cisco and she's like, hey, it, it wasn't me, but I still feel like I need to apologize. Well, I, do you remember everything that happened? Did, did right. Were you conscious of this influence taking information from you? I mean, there could have been some stuff there. That's not in any way, shape, or form what this episode is about. <laughs> but but the way it's written and the things that are happening, the more I watched it, those were questions that came into into my head. I'll be honest. I had a problem with the fact that she actually came to apologize. Well, because it wasn't theoretically her fault. Right. It wasn't her fault at all. So why did she do that? And we can even we can even go further and say it wasn't her fault at all because Cisco doesn't remember building the clock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she asks him that right before that. Did you actually build that? Apparently so. Okay, so he doesn't remember that, which means she doesn't remember trying to take over the ship, which means she only would have heard this from Odo. I'm sorry, trying to take over Deep Space Nine. So she only would have heard this from Odo, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so why is she apologizing? Nobody remembers anything. I mean, it's like, like, you know, if you get hypnotized and you act like a chicken and then later you apologize for acting like a chicken. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or something, you know, uh, more sensible than that. I, 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 I had a hard time believing that Kira would have apologized. Yeah. Even. I mean, like, even if she had done it, and even if she knew that somewhere inside her lurked this thing, I have a hard time believing that she would have, that she would have apologized because then that would have been an admission of guilt. I mean, I guess it was, well, I mean, do you want to talk more about that last scene? Because I really didn't understand it. I mean, when, when, when Cisco says, I guess I'll, yeah, I'll let it slide this time. I guess it's just like, oh, that's, that's funny. It's cute. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, it it doesn't really belong there, and, mm-hmm. and I and I feel like dramatically they they just they felt like they needed a button at the end of the show, and you needed to to leave with the the weird sort of Twilight Zone thing of I built this clock, and now it's going to be in my office forever, but I don't understand how I built the clock or how it works. You know, <laughs> fine, but but again, there's nobody's fault at play here. Yeah. Um, uh, unless you go with the idea that Kira does remember something, or maybe she just wa- went back and uh, watched all the security tapes that, that Odo has in his office. She's like, wow. And then I did that. And then I, and then I sat at your desk uh, with, with my feet up on the desk. And then I, then I walked around Dax like five times in the bar while having a conversation about whose side she's on. <laughs> she, she went behind the bar and got drinks. By the way, I think Quark would be fine telling her how reprehensibly she acted as well. She might not believe think, him, but like if it's if it's supported by heck, maybe she'll get like two words out of Morn, you know? We'll yeah. be like, no, yeah, you were kind of nuts. It was weird. I'm a man of few right. words, and I'll say a few words now. You were crazy. Yeah. That would be Morn, I guess. Right. Right. That, that's well done. That, like. That's the best. That's the best Morn impression <laughs> I've ever heard. We should it's actually really start good. doing those. We should have. Uh, we should have people uh, do their own Morn impression for us. Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. don't talk, you're out. I mean, that's yeah. it. It's because we're looking for voice here. Uh, I have a question. Actually, the the thing that came up for me. Mm-hmm. It's not about character. It's more about. It's more of a plot point thing. Mm-hmm. Did the Klingons find what they were looking for? I know the official story was that it was a biosurvey mission, right? But they also, when they're hanging around quarks, they call it a glorious mission. And they said that they would come back with something that would make the enemies of the Klingon Empire tremble. 
Yeah. Were they actually going after this weird sphere thing? Of course, there are many questions then, like how would they have heard about that? And how would they know what it did? Okay, so both of those things are kind of hard to get over. But then again, so is a bunch of Klingons saying, ah, yes, this biosurvey mission. They will sing songs of this biosurvey mission, unless it's just Klingons being Klingons in Quark's bar and then going, you know, back to the ship going, man, I hope he never finds out that we're really just on a biosurvey mission. Well, well, here's the thing. First of all, yeah, I think you just nailed it, which is that no matter what Klingons are doing, if you throw in the words like honor and victory and what you throw those things in, that they will do anything. You tell Worf that prune juice is the drink of a warrior, and he is all over that all day long. You tell this group of Klingons, like, uh, it's a biosurvey mission. No, 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 no. It's, yeah, it's a biosurvey mission, but it's for the honor of the empire, and, and you will be victorious in surveying all the biology at this place we're going to send you. And then you get a motivated. That's how you motivate a Klingon. So you, so, you really think they that the Klingons who said that, you know, this was going to be a glorious mission and that they were going to come back with some weapon just happened to accidentally find something that would destroy a ship. But, you know, you, I mean, you think that was an accident? You don't think that's what they were going after? Well, here's the other thing. They will turn anything into a weapon. So, so right. not not a surprise there, but no, no. But here's another possibility because I mean, it, you're right. This is a big plot hole. Like, what do they know? When do they know it? See, I didn't. I didn't say it was a plot hole. That's a thing. I'm. 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 Well, it may be a plot hole, but understand, I wasn't trying to point out a plot hole. I was trying to say, was this actually intentional? Yeah, it, it leaves questions exactly. Yeah. But I I wonder though, at what point were they under the influence of the, the 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 telepathic virus essentially that had glommed onto them? You know, had that happened at an earlier point, is this thing floating around the galaxy? We know that it, it, they they came from the Gamma Quadrant with this, but had they somehow picked this up elsewhere? carried it with them back into the Gamma Quadrant where it originated, and they just come right back out with them. By that time, the the full influence of the Sultana had ultimately played out, playing out meaning blowing up their ship. Right. That's an interesting question. Here's another question. They said there were many spheres, right? Yes. So yes. was there a different personality? Was there a different dramatis personae in each of the spheres, and they each took over a different person? Because if that's the case, where did the one that tried to take over Odo go? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Might have gone into uh, into somebody else. Might have gone into somebody else, but not somebody who was in ops. Because, like, that guy who tried to assassinate um, Cisco, yeah. he was actually under the influence because he was in the background when the Klingon boarded. My assumption right. is the two people standing guard outside of Cisco's quarters were also in ops at the same time. Right. So everybody... So is it like Westworld a tiny bit or like normal people walking around the promenade going, what's up with the cosplayers? What's up? <laughs> Have you noticed that like that one small group of people is being really strange, aren't they? No, no, no. no I'm sorry. Weird. I think they're being weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you only have a very small crew who are actually running things. Pretty much everybody else. I mean, you only got 300 or so people on DS9. Yeah, I, I hear that. <laughs> right. The others are, are hanging out at the bar or they're at school or they were at school and now hanging out at the bar. So, you know, they're not <laughs> privy to a lot of uh, what else is going on. Yeah. Good point. So, 
Um, just as a side note to everything that we learn in this episode, what we do know about the Sultana, and we know very little, but it leads me to believe that they had it coming. Uh, because uh, apparently they're, they're terrible to each other. They are mutineering, paranoid, uh, violent people who, uh, who, who then play this out over and over again, wherever they plant their psychic energy into whatever species, you know, could have been Klingons one week and, and, uh, Bajorans and humans another week and, and a Ferengi or, or, uh, a bunch of Borg. Who knows? But it, it seems like if they keep playing this out over the centuries of just inhabiting bodies and then destroying each other, they probably get what they deserve. While it may have some flaws, I think this play is great. They should make it into a movie or a TV show. Oh, wait a moment. Actors playing characters playing other characters. It's Dramatis Personae. And it's the part of the episode where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and see whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Um, I don't need to tell you what the questions are, John, because, you know, partly because I do it, you know, every week and partly because I just did. Mm. Let me just let me just put it out there as a pile. Mm-hmm. Dramatis Personae. Go. Oh, I like how you did that. Okay. Um, I feel a little bit like you did last week. You you started your portion of this section, uh, mm-hmm. which we might call Act 4 of our show, um, <laughs> by saying that you really love Deep Space Nine, and you really love the characters and, and a lot of what we've seen so far in The Promise, but... We, we just keep hitting these episodes that, that, that seems like they don't know where to go. They don't know what they're doing with the characters. And it's, it's a whole lot of nothing. And I know that this is an episode that people like generally. And it really is always fun to play with the characters to take them out of their usual psychology that we're used to as, as the viewers. But this episode is a whole lot of meh, a whole lot of nothing for me. It's the naked time, but darker. Or it's the naked time meets the ring, or whatever. It's a chance for the characters to not act like themselves, and you throw in a little drama and and worry about uh, will they make it or will they not. Um, It's fun for a while, but we also hit the reset button at the end of the episode. So, like, let, let's take that clock, for example, because I mentioned it in the last segment. Um, we'll probably never see it again. Okay, well, we will see it because it's a nice prop. But at this point, it's just an object without any meaning. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's meant to be an oh, wow moment, like, say, Picard learning to play the flute in the inner light. Because that had meaning. That, that, that was something that altered his character. And made him a different person than he was before he got hit by that probe. But at the end of the day, we know nothing about the Sultana. And nothing has any resonance that came from that. Like I said, the best they can do is go back and watch the security tapes and go, wow, Kira, you you really did that? Well, I don't remember it. I was under the influence of this psychic energy. 
Um, on the first couple of viewings, I felt like Odo had the best stuff to do in here. Uh, his subtle read of everyone else. I really liked the way he's playing the game. I liked the way he was playing Bashir at the end. That was really nice. Mm -hmm. um, but with that said, everybody has at least some fun thing to do. Um, so I I'll give the show that. It's fun and it's devious. And there are some interesting action moments for our main characters. Our main cast is tearing each other up. But that's about it. I, again, there, there's no resonance. There's really no meaning coming out of it. It's just action, weird stuff, play with the characters. And then what? The clock is not the flute. <laughs> you, you can play with the character all you want, but unless what happens to the character has some... Uh, some resonance at the end of the day, then, then so what? We just watch them solve a problem. And by them, I just mean Odo solve a problem by blowing something out of the, uh, the cargo bay. So, um, it, it, it's a well-produced episode. There are good moments in the episode, but it doesn't add up. Mm -hmm. Uh, how about you? Well, I mean, really quickly do your thing with the flute. I mean, the flute was interesting because Picard still knows how to play the flute. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if Kira had said, did you make that? And, and Cisco had said, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And she had said, why? And then he said, he didn't know. I mean, that would be different. Yeah. Right. But he doesn't even remember yeah. doing it. And yes, it's a pretty thing. And yes, it's going to sit there. But I mean, Picard being able to play, play the flute is Picard having had this experience that he can't completely access and it wasn't actually real, except it really did happen because mm -hmm. he still has this part, this part that actually gives him some sort of um, solace in a way. Whereas the clock is just a thing that, you know, heck, he might have been drunk and thrown up all over the place for all the impact it's going to have on him. He'd actually probably, mm -hmm. you know, feel mm -hmm. more impact from having been drunk and thrown up all over the place because at least he'd be embarrassed by that. Plus, it's something he did. Yeah. Whereas this was just something that happened to him and he did something while this was being done. What's interesting to me about this episode, actually, I did not know because I don't go back and do the trivia thing. I didn't know that Joe Minoski wrote masks or I didn't remember that. But mm -hmm. this episode did remind me of masks. In fact, if mm -hmm. we had actually mm -hmm. been alternating these or watching episodes of TNG and DS9 one after the other in broadcast order, the way a lot of people wanted us to. <laughs> Yeah. Then masks actually would have reminded me of this episode. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that they, they come from the same guy because without realizing that they were written by the same guy, they very much reminded me of each other. I seem to remember liking the inferred backstory in masks. And I seem to remember being bothered by the lack of payoff. Right. I right. loved the pantheon that they created for masks and i love the characters that our characters are playing in this there's something shakespearean about the intrigue the crazy king the old doddering drunken friend the iron right hand that is o'brien and the conniving first in command that is kira right these should be iconic characters that again, tell us something about ourselves. And that's where this falls apart. It's just something that happened to them. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. I hate to keep rewriting these, but what would have been really great is if we had seen the rest of DS9 choose sides. Yeah. 
knowing that stuff was weird, knowing that people were being crazy, if their leaders had said, right, you got to pick a side, and then they had picked a side, and you know, knowing that the road that they were going down was not the road that they should be traveling, right? But they go ahead and choose sides anyway, as people have done throughout history, when they maybe would have said, he's being weird, but... I'm being forced to decide, do I like him or do I not like him? Or he's being weird and I don't like the way he's going, but everybody else is choosing, so I feel like I have to choose too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then our main characters snap out of it and they've got half a DS9 on one side and half a DS9 on another, both about to kill each other because of their crazy whatever. That might have been an interesting thing. I mean, we haven't been able to study the folly of such things happening, but instead... It's telepathic nothing that leads to nowhere. And I, I said it could have been a Shakespearean, and I will say it is in this one respect. It is sound and fury signifying nothing, which is a drag because these characters, <laughs> right. I mean, this was, I mean, I, the thing that I hate about this episode is it goes nowhere because there's yeah. so much that happens with these characters and there's so much that could have happened around them. And, uh, and then it just stops. <laughs> pretty much pretty much um which which leads us to uh ask each other then did we learn anything here was there a moral or a message or a meaning to wrap our heads around um nothing really that i found i mean again if we had been if we had even just spent like two minutes in act five saying so here's what we found out about these people sort of like if you know if at the end of it there had been, uh, if you had had, who was it? Is it Puck or Oberon at the end of A Midsummer Night's Dream? Who says, mm. if these shadows have offended, think but this, and all is mended. That you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear. Or something to that, that effect. It's, it's lines mm. like that, I know. If something had come up at the end to tell them, don't be like us, or be like us, or whatever, or this has been a recording. I mean, if, if anything yeah, had happened yeah. to sort of inform them at the end, uh, this episode could have been, I mean, this episode had almost everything it needed to be a great episode, except for payoff. So, so no, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not able to pull a message out of it at all. Um, what about you? Uh, I, nothing that's intended that, that's said with any seriousness on my part. Paranoia is bad. Uh, mutiny is bad. Don't get hit with a mind-altering telepathic virus. Oh, that's a good um, one. That's a good one, though. Yeah, that, that is a good one. But actually, to your point about the the problem with the ending of this and, and quoting Midsummer Night, yeah, do we get any kind of message about the Sultana? No. They were apparently terrible and spread their terribleness to others. Don't be like the Sultana. So there was an opportunity there in, in a very Star Trek way to have a moral meeting message to slip in something along those lines, but we didn't do it. We just shot him out the airlock and then never to be seen again until they hitchhike on the next passing vessel and uh, wreak havoc on it. Actually, I did, I did think of one possible message. Okay, good. Shoot your problems into space. Oh, that is so Ming the Merciless of you. I, uh, I dig it. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. If you want to check out some more really cool podcasts, and I mean really cool podcasts, 
podcast.roddenberry.com. How cool are these podcasts? Well, I'm just going to say the names and you're going to know the track files, Priority One, Women at Warp, Mission Log Live, and of course, Mission Log. Sounds cool, doesn't it? podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that would be awesome. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to find out more. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, duet. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Next week, duet. 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 Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.